Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yeah. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Did you know that one in six Northeast Ohioans struggle with hunger? Many people in Northeast Ohio are forced to make tough choices. Unexpected expenses, prescription costs, and rising heat costs are all things that can prevent people from being able to put food on the table, and they are forced to make tough decisions, which often results in hunger. But you can help. Each dollar that you donate to the Harvest for Hunger campaign will result in four meals. So donate today by visiting harvestforhunger.org. Help feed your neighbors. Cleveland.com is a sponsor of the Greater Cleveland Food Bank's Harvest for Hunger campaign. Welcome to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. It's Chris Fedor, Joe Varden, Cleveland.com's Cavs coverage podcast. We've got a lot of questions to get to that you guys sent in on Twitter. So we will get to those coming up, but I feel like, Joe, I should probably start by apologizing to Cavs Nation for my terrible pick of Raptors and Seven in the Eastern Conference Semifinals. Well, I don't know, I can't remember if you ever said that on a podcast. I think you probably did. I mean, I know you sent it on our video, Um, and so yes, I mean, you should be mocked incessantly for that. Um, So... Yeah. Do you buy into the idea that a series can change based on one play or one result? Well, see, I, like I know that you're trying to, to shop that, and then uh, th- that would be like me telling you that if Corver had hit that corner three against the Warriors in Game Three, that that would have been a different series. We both know that it wouldn't have. Okay, the Fair. Cavs were not that close. Fair. Um, the the Raptors, God bless them. They're a really deep team, a nice team. When it comes to the Cavs, they're just not that close. Um, and and it, it could have been a closer series. It shouldn't maybe have been a, a, a sweep. But I don't see any way the Raptors win that series. Uh, I think after watching it, um, I think you're right on that. Um, I, I think I uh, definitely overlooked some key factors going into that particular series. Um, and I think I've learned that if you're going to beat the Cavs four times in seven tries, not just once, they couldn't even do it once, but four times in seven tries and win the series, you absolutely have to have multiple guys to use against LeBron and guys that are a little bit more capable than what the Raptors had. And you have to have an answer for Kevin Love. And I think, Joe, there are certain guys in the NBA that bother Kevin. They give him a hard time. We've seen it with Draymond Green. We saw it with Thaddeus Young in the first round with Indiana. Um, Jonas Valanciunas is not one of those guys. And Serge Ibaka is not one of those guys. So if you don't have somebody competent to put on the Cavs' second most important player, then the Cavs' offense can look like the Cavs' offense did against the Toronto Raptors. Yeah, I mean, that's that's it. 
like I don't want to get too simplistic, but I've I've been talking about this with some people, um, and they agree with me because I'm very smart. Um, <laughs> but I don't think anymore that you can beat LeBron four times unless you have someone almost like him. And that right. th- there are right. there are what two teams that that have a guy. The Warriors yes. have one, yeah, and the Spurs have one, right? So you know, so it's it's not impossible, obviously. Uh-huh. And the Warriors will beat them again in the finals because they have a guy. Um, That's an early call by you. Oh, of course, of course, they're going to beat the Cavs <laughs> in the finals. There's just no the the Warriors are going to be that good for as long as they want to be. Yeah, um, and it's because Kevin Durant. Um, Went there, right. and because before he came there, the Warriors did such a good do- job in the draft and franchise, all that. Right. Okay. But so for the Raptors or now for the Celtics, they don't have somebody that can realistically match up with LeBron. Agreed. And I just think you have to have it to be right. Him. And it's almost like when you do the matchup by matchup thing, it's almost like you need your best player to match or cancel out what LeBron does. And it's very, very difficult to find that. And when LeBron, in a series against Toronto, can outperform two guys, the two best players on the other side, I guess you have the formula for a sweep. And that's what happened. LeBron, in that series against Toronto, was better than the combination of Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan. And that's how you lead to that kind of lopsided outcome in that series. And here's the thing. LeBron shot under 20% from three I know. and like under 60% from, from the foul line. Yep. And we're still talking about how he dominated. So he could have been better. Yep. Um, so, yeah, I think it's really tough. Okay. Anything else before we get into the Boston series? Anything else stand out to you from the Raptors series or maybe even going back to the Indiana series? Uh, that you think can carry over for the Cavs into this one against Boston. Yeah, I just, I mean, it's something we've talked about a couple times now. Uh-huh. And, and just the idea that um, if the Cavs found themselves in the early rounds of these playoffs, they could be dangerous. Uh, and I think they did. I think they found themselves somewhere, you know, um, as the series moved along in round one. And certainly as the series got going in round two, they, they found who they were and how they are going to win. Right. And I think that is going to get them through this series. Um, and I actually think, um, while I do not believe they can win the finals, I, I, I actually do think they can get a game. Hmm. Um, which at, at times this year you just thought if they were lucky enough to get to the finals would be impossible. So I, I actually think... I. I I think that they know who they are enough and trust themselves enough mm-hmm. to get there and beat the Warriors one time. Okay, so then who are they? Well, I mean, other than the obvious, I just think that you have found something with uh, George Hill yeah. and the combination of yep. of Jr. and and Corver and what they mean for for Kevin, and then um, you ride with Jeff Green yep. and and Tristan. Um, as your seven, and if you can get anything out of an eighth guy, name him. Mm-hmm. Like, is it Clarkson? Right. Uh, I mean, is it Jetty? Uh, you know, th- that's gravy. Yeah. It's weird, too, because if I had to guess, like, who would be that eighth guy that would step up, just based on the profile, skill set, mental makeup, I would think Clarkson. 
because I feel like he's fearless and he's got a little bleep you to his game, mm-hmm. you know, but it hasn't translated. And I think that part of that is because, like, he has a skill set where there are a lot of holes in his game, and Ty even said it throughout uh, the course of these playoffs. Um, this is the time of year where teams are looking to take away what it is you do best and poke holes in your game. And this is where any little flaw that you have can be exposed. Yeah. And I feel like Jordan's game of attack, 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 I'm just going to drive, use a pick or not use a pick and drive right into the teeth of the defense and try and score that way. I just think it makes him easier to guard and there's not a lot of diversity to what he does. Yeah, I mean, he's got to make threes. Right. He's not. Because that would open his game yeah. up a little bit, I would think. Yeah, I mean, and, and you would suspect that Marcus Smart's going to be a tough matchup here mm-hmm. uh, for him if indeed that's that's who's matched onto him. But, but if he could, if if uh, Clarkson could get himself going, that would be that would be huge. Yeah. I mean, they, they have no, I mean, they, they don't have a chance in the finals. But mm-hmm. if they, if, <laughs> like, they, if Clarkson could get himself going, that would that would make a difference. Yep, I agree. And the other thing that I agree with that you said, um, we came into these playoffs like wondering a lot of stuff about the Cavs, mm-hmm. and I feel like Ty was wondering a lot of stuff, and LeBron was wondering a lot of stuff. Um, the one thing that I think went overlooked too much was they didn't know what was best for them. They didn't know what their best <coughs> offensive set was going to be because for so many years it was like, okay, if we're in a bind. If we're in a pinch, we're just going to go 1-3 pick and roll with Kyrie LeBron or we're going to go J.R. Smith set the screen for LeBron or Kyrie and we know we can either get a switch or we can get a shot. We can get something that we want from that. Um, and coming into these playoffs, like the Cavs, I don't think they knew like when it was time other than LeBron go create something. I don't think they knew what to go to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I... I um... Not only that, I mean, I, we, still, we still have some time before this next series start to ask Ty about this. Um, but I, I feel like they finally are starting to play a little bit differently than they used to play when Kyrie was here. Yes, I agree. I, I, like, I, I feel like virtually all year they didn't. Um, that they, they pretty much tried to do the same stuff, except they didn't have one of the best players in the game doing mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, and it's still, they were still top five in offense, but um, I, I thought, obviously, they struggled uh, against the Pacers because they didn't know. And now yep. I, I think they have found something with some action, um, actually getting a chance to play LeBron at power forward because now he doesn't have to play point guard. Yep. Um, that has allowed them to do all this other stuff. So, yeah, I think you're right. And I also think um, the way that they used Kevin... See, throughout the course of the regular season, there were a lot of people criticizing Ty. We talked about it. We took so many questions on this podcast, Joe, about the things Ty was not doing. And I feel like it is time to give him praise. Um, because I feel like he had a big hand in the Cavs sweeping the Raptors. And yes, LeBron was fantastic. Yes, Kevin was fantastic. But when you start to get into the why something happened, a lot of it starts to point to tie. Mm-hmm. And if you look at the Indiana series and the Cavs being able to win Game 7, yes, there were things that happened where you can point to Tristan Thompson and you can say LeBron this and Kyle Korver hitting some big shots and all those different things, right? 
But that points back again to Ty, because he found the four guys that he trusts the most in certain situations, maybe even five, depending on how he feels about it. Uh, he played Tristan Thompson in Game 7. That was a brilliant move. And then if you talk about the Raptors series, the way that he used Kevin after breaking down the film and saying, what I'm doing with Kevin is not working all that well. I'm not just going to have him run to the elbow, run to the post, and try and back down bigger dudes, stronger dudes than him. I'm going to find other ways to use him. Let's move him off the ball. Let's have him set screens for Kyle. Kyle going to set screens for him. If they switch, then he can attack the mismatch. If it's Jonas Valanciunas staying on Kevin, then he can start on the perimeter and blow by him or back cuts and all of those different kinds of things. Like Ty, I feel like, has answered the call here in the postseason with a lot of the moves that he has made, both from a strategy standpoint, Joe, and from a lineups and rotation standpoint. Is he perfect? No. Is he the best coach in the NBA? No. But the Cavs don't win Game 7 without his decision to play Tristan Thompson, and they don't sweep the Raptors without him sticking to his guns about playing Kevin at the 5 and using Kevin the way that he used him. No doubt. And I think these are important points to make because we're heading into a situation that I think is going to has a chance to be a little uncomfortable because all you're going to hear is how brilliant Brad is. Yes. And the insinuation is going to be that Ty is not. Mhm. And like this is not Brad Stevens' fault by the way. Brad is a great coach. Right. Brad is very intelligent. Yeah. Um but the the comparisons I just like I want people to be careful about this. And I want the comparisons to be made with just the utmost caution about calling one of these guys smart and one of these guys not smart. Mm -hmm. Because Ty absolutely knows what he's doing. He is an excellent playoff coach. Mm -hmm. And you could argue, you could make the argument that all the crap that happens on this team during the regular season and, and the questionable... Even the, the the questionable lineup sometimes and the, the, the length of the rope that he gives to these players, like it's because he knows how to manage a LeBron veteran-dominated team. Mm -hmm. um, because they don't do that stuff in the playoffs. Like they, you know, this is a tight, much tighter ship. Right. Um, they're really good at the end of games. Quicker trigger when it comes to lineup decisions. Yeah, and like it's it's all there, and it all goes back to Ty's demeanor. Yep. Um, again, like you said it perfectly. Like he's not the greatest coach in the league. Uh, he had a bad he had bad stuff this year, yep. and, and there's something real to be said that I think we'll probably get into more so in the finals. That the their like lacks lackadaisical attitude towards defense in the regular season is bad for the playoffs because when they have to be great, which yeah. is against the Warriors, they can't be because they don't practice the habits. Mm -hmm. But that's, like, that is one strike against him, but there are many there are many things that he does in his favor, and and all the things you said are true. Um, the, 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 the presence he has in the huddle going back to 2016 is a big reason why they were able to come back from 3-1 down. Um, and I just hope that people speak of him with greater respect in this series and are just careful about the comparison. All right, so now we're here. We're here in the Eastern Conference Finals. It's Cavs-Celtics. I think going back to the very beginning of the year, a lot of people felt like it was going to be Cavs-Celtics and the Celtics once they traded for Kyrie and they signed Gordon Hayward 
they were finally the threat to the Cavs in the Eastern Conference. It wasn't, okay, the biggest threat in the Eastern Conference is the Cavs to themselves and whether they can get over their own things and get back to the NBA Finals. It was, okay, now there's a legitimate contender for this particular throne. In saying that, it's a lot different than we expected it to be because there is no Kyrie, there is no Gordon Hayward, and somehow, someway, the Celtics have found a way to get past Milwaukee and the Philadelphia 76ers, and now they're here against the Cavs. So your vibe on what you've seen from the Celtics in this playoff run? Well, um, <laughs> I, I, I really like, I mean, I, I like what they do. Um, you know, they're, they're so disciplined and they're tough. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I, I love Terry Rozier and I love what Horford's done in, in these playoffs. And Tatum as a rookie just has really elevated his game. Um, I thought that the Sixers really, really wasted some opportunities. Okay. Like, you know, the Raptors missed some tip-ins against the Cavs. Yep. Okay? Yep. In game one. That's right. But what you've seen the Sixers do is worse. I agree. Yeah. I mean, they had leads. Yeah. Very, twenty plus point leads. Twenty, yes, but then they also had leads very late. Yes, and did everything they could to give those leads up. Yeah, um, and so you know, and then in round one, I thought that the I thought that the Bucks had more talent mm-hmm. um, th- than the Celtics, and and still just you know for whatever reason, I mean we've had two coaches there now that just haven't quite been able to get what you think you should be able to get out of a Giannis and, and Parker. And mm-hmm. So um, I think the Celtics should be commended for where they are. I think that they have the they have a chance to make this tough on the Cavs. But I think you ultimately this is a Stars League. Yep. There are still Stars on the court for the Cavs. And they, unlike the Sixers people have been there and done it at the absolute highest level, and I think that is going to be the thing that decides the series. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Um, I I watched the Celtics play throughout the course of the playoffs, and I thought it was commendable, but I still found myself surprised that they kept advancing in the postseason. And I was talking to somebody for the Cavs, um, the same person who told me, you know, uh, don't worry about the Raptors. We match up really well against the Raptors. The Indiana thing was about matchups. So I probably should have listened to that person, especially because, you know, they're in the NBA and they know these things a lot better than me. They have the stats, they have the numbers to back it up. And me being the idiot that I was, I was like, nah, you know what? I'm not going to listen to you. I'm going to go with my own thing. I'm going to say Raptors in seven. And then I looked like a complete and utter buffoon to everybody. <laughs> then I had to apologize to everybody. Um, so that same person that I was talking to, Joe, said, look, Chris, there are certain teams that we struggle against. In an honest moment, said, we struggle against certain teams. I think Boston's the kind of team that the Cavs struggle against. They're tough. They're physical. In a way, they're annoying. And I think the other thing, Joe, is they have like-sized players. So they're switchy. The Warriors, switchy. The Indiana Pacers could be switchy or fight through screens. And it's just like the Cavs, when the Raptors decided, we're going to try and play games with you in the 110s or 120s, 
the Cavs were like, ah, yes, this is fantastic. Because we're going to do what we do better than you're going to do what you do. If it gets into these games where it has to be mucky and it has to be in the 90s, the low 100s, that's not as much in favor of the Cavs. That's not really their style. Now, can they win games like that? Yes, they did against Indiana. They probably will at times against Boston, especially if it's close late and it comes down to a few plays here or there. But overall, the Cavs like the style that they played against the Raptors. It was freeing to them. They felt like they could exhale against them. They felt like they had matchups in their favor. And it's just like this style of Boston, and so much in the playoffs is about matchups and it's about style. This style in Boston is, I think, going to test the Cavs uh, more so than they were tested against the Raptors. That doesn't mean that the Celtics are going to win. Don't mistake it. That's not my prediction for this particular series. But I think they can test them. I think that I think the difference, though, and, and this doesn't make sense because Boston is and always has been a better team than Indiana. Yeah, always. Yeah. Um, and you're right that there are certain teams that the Cavs struggle against, and one of them is the Pacers. Mm-hmm. Whether it's the regular season or the postseason, the sweep last year was tough. Like, that was a right, tough... Right, right. Um, but the Cavs on the court do not struggle against the Celtics. Um, yes, they lost one time. They lost one. Yep. They lost one this year, but they went in there in February. The Celtics were rested. The Cavs were not. Uh, it was a Sunday in February, and the Cavs blew their doors off. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look what happened in last year's playoffs, now granted Isaiah Thomas being hurt had something to do with that. Like, but just and Isaiah playing had something to do with them getting blown out too. I think because yeah, the Cavs targeted Isaiah. I think that's true. Um, but but just the point is, is that for some reason uh, the Cavs don't typically struggle against this team, at least like they they have against the Pacers. Mm-hmm. Um, I I don't know. I keep going back and forth as to how this series is going to go. I'm, I am I am insistent the Cavs will win. Um, but but certainly allowing for the idea that the Celtics have become so good at what they do yeah. that they they could make this difficult. Right. But you could you could also see a case where George Hill defends Terry better. I agree. Than others have. Yes. That will affect him. Right. You could see a certainly see a case where J.R. Smith, because he's engaged. Mm-hmm. Um, gives Tatum a harder time than yep. he is used to. Right. Um, you could see a case where LeBron eviscerates them. Yes. So I don't know. I agree. Uh, you know, I think that I think the I mean the best thing Boston has going for it is that they're the home team in this series except yeah. <laughs> LeBron's like <laughs> great success over the last few years there so you know, that's I, the weird thing for me too, Joe, because you brought it up and I could add some more things to that. Al Horford can continue to struggle against the Cavs and Tristan Thompson and Kevin Love like he has in the past, right? You can add that to it. Um, Boston with a bunch of young guys and young guys sometimes have inconsistency in their games and in a series. Like young guys could struggle from time to time when they reach a different level against the Cavs that they're trying to get to that they didn't have to get to against Philadelphia or Milwaukee. So you've got that as well. And yet, on the other side of that, Joe, I believe that the Celtics, even without Kyrie and Hayward, 
these Celtics that are making this trip to the conference finals are better than last year's Celtics. Yeah. Right? And I believe that these Cavs, these ones that are showing up in the conference finals against Boston, playing the first game on Sunday, they're worse than last year's Cavs. Yeah, they are. So that's the thing that I'm having a hard time processing when I'm trying to figure out like what my feel is for this series and what my prediction is going to be. Because all of those things that you said are true, but I think the things that I said are also true. <laughs> so where does that really leave us here in this particular series? Well, I mean that's you know that I mean you've gotta you've gotta say. You've you've gotta say what your prediction is and we're all gonna make fun of you for it for sure. <laughs> so I guess because last year it was Cavs and five, and okay. I think a big reason why they blew out the Celtics early in the series is because Isaiah was there and mm-hmm. they targeted Isaiah and throughout the course of the regular season nobody in the organization was worried about Boston or Isaiah Thomas because they felt like they could just take him out of the series completely and they could just attack him on the defensive end. And that's what they did. Um, So I think Cavs in six is going to be my final call on this one. I was thinking Cavs in five, but I'm going to go Cavs in six. And I think Brad Stevens is going to be a big part of Boston finding a way to win two games in this thing. I'm with you, uh, Cavs in six. Uh, As you know, I've got something very important tonight. I have to... uh, Yes. Get ice cream uh, with the family. Yes, which will be my dinner. By the way, where um, are you going for that? Um, um, Mally's? Not Mally's. Mally's is in Bay. You're uh, not going to Mally's. You going to Mitchell's? Mitchell's. Oh, buddy. And uh, oh no, I might l- have to go to Mitchell's. L- listeners uh, of this podcast, you know that Chris normally reads the questions, but yep. we're taping this on his phone. So I get to read the questions. Yeah, okay. Um, and that's where we are now in this podcast is question time. So um, let's get it going. Uh, we've got uh, at Clee Fan mm-hmm. says, Why isn't uh, Robert Muller looking into the collusion by Kobe and Ainge to clear the Celtics roster of garbage so they could play their good players and get our second best player? And also, can Celtics win a playoff game versus the Cavs without the great... Jerebko. What do you like about that one? That's awesome. I like that he called him the great Jerebko. Absolutely. I think that's the best part of that tweet. Um, I don't know. Do you feel any differently about the uh, about the trade now? Now that we're in the conference finals, these two teams playing against each other? I mean, Kyrie wouldn't be playing with the Cavs if they hung on to, Ka- uh, to Kyrie, right? Because he would still have a knee issue. Right. And I, and I also, I mean, I've done a little bit of work on this. Um the, the offers for Kyrie were much better before anyone knew that he wanted out. Uh, yeah, um, that makes sense. And, and um, you know, so it's not like necessarily the Cavs could have gone elsewhere, you know, had the Celtics balked at their demands. Um, but at the same time, what were the Celtics going to do? Like, were they really not going to take Kyrie? So, the, so what I'm getting at is, could they have insisted that Jason Tatum be part of this trade? Mm. Um Obviously, that that this would, things would look different now. Right. The next question comes from at Jordan Miller eighty one. He wants to know: Will Nance Jr. be a part of the rotation versus the Celtics? Has it come down to him or Tristan? But not both. So I think Joe Ty is more likely to trim his rotation now that we're here in the conference finals and on the verge of getting back to the NBA finals than he is like expanding it and putting somebody else into it. Mm-hmm. I think um, all season long, and we've talked about this on the podcast, all season long, 
uh, when things have gotten tough for the Cavs, they have leaned on the familiar, mm-hmm. um, and they have leaned on experience. Tristan Thompson is a part of that, more so than Larry Nance Jr. is. Mm-hmm. The other thing is, after um, the Cavs won the series against Toronto in impressive fashion, I saw Larry Nance Jr. hobbling out of the locker room, mm-hmm. not walking, but kind of like dragging his leg behind him. So I think he's less than 100%. He doesn't have the experience of Tristan Thompson. And based on what we've seen from Tristan so far in these playoffs, I'm not sure there's anything uh, at this point that Larry Nance Jr. can do that is better than what Tristan can because of Tristan's toughness, um, his experience, and his familiarity with the other teammates. I think Larry Nance catches the ball better in traffic and dunks it. Okay. Um, is that enough to play him over Tristan? It is not. Right. And, you know, obviously I'm with you. I, I love what Tristan did late against Indiana and early against Toronto. So I believe the Cavs are there with that one. All right. So we've got at uh, uh, 808 Breeze wants to know, do we think the struggles of Clarkson and Hood are more of a coaching issue? Come on. Or are they just <laughs> built for the playoffs? And... Uh, the Cavs try to take one person out of the series. Who do we think they will try oh. and take out? Oh. Um, so, obviously, you know, Clarkson and Hood, that is not anywhere near the result of a coaching issue. Um, I do believe the playoffs are way too big for Rodney. Um, I'm wondering about Jordan. Um, I think you kind of you've, – you've addressed this already with, with Clarkson as far as he's – learning what it means to have your thing, the thing that you do taken away. Yeah. So, like, with Jordan, I could see him, you know, in the scenario where LeBron stays here, um, and he's back next year, so they're back in the playoffs and competing for a championship. Um, I see Jordan going away yep. for the summer and, and working on X, Y, Z, because he, yep. he the playoffs taught him that. Yep. And then when they get back to this thing next year, he's tougher. Mm-hmm. Rodney, I, I don't see that right now, um, but maybe we'll see it in the series. Um, I think there are two things really quick. Um, one, it can be hard to play with LeBron James at times, mm-hmm. and it takes some guys some getting used to when the ball's not in their hands all the time or they're not involved in the offense all the time or plays aren't called for him all the time. Uh, Rodney Hood was like the go-to guy for Utah at the beginning of this year. That's his comfort zone. That's where he's most comfortable. He has to learn how to be comfortable not being that guy. Maybe he can, maybe he can't, but that's up to him to figure that out. Um, It's not always for everybody, though. The second thing is, uh, anytime a team trades for something, it's because they're looking for something that they don't currently have. When the Cavs traded for their guys, they wanted youth, they wanted athleticism, maybe a little bit more defense, and they saw those things in the pieces that they brought back, right? So it's the same thing for Utah. Utah was making a run at a playoff spot looking for something that they didn't have. The guy that they felt like they needed that they didn't have was Jay Crowder. Think of all of the traits that Jay Crowder has that teams around the NBA like, and those are the things that Utah identified Rodney Hood not having. Yep, absolutely. Um, before we get to the other part, and this will be the last one because um, I have ice cream to eat. Um, <clears throat> your boy at Timmy S twenty four. Yeah. Um, wanted to know the same thing. He wanted to know about the the Cavs focusing in on one guy defensively and who would it be. 
Um, and so I just wanted to mention him because I know he's a uh, loyal listener to the podcast yep. and uh, is constantly hitting us on Twitter and just kind of locked in um, as a fan. So great St. Ed grad as well. Oh well, I, I don't know if you could say great and St. Ed's in, in the same <laughs> sentence, but other than that, um, I like it. So we'll get to it and then we'll go eat. Um, you know, <laughs> I think the Cavs got to worry about two guys in this series. Okay, they've got. Jason Tatum's their leading scorer, uh-huh. but Horford's been doing things for this team. Um, so, the the I think the challenge is, is is trying to take away those two guys or making sure those two guys don't beat you. I agree. I think Horford is the linchpin of the team. He's the guy with the playoff experience. He's the captain. He's the leader. He might not be the leading scorer. That goes to Jason Tatum, and then Tor- Terry Rozier is right after Tatum. But but I think. He's the glue that keeps the Celtics together. Um, So that's the guy that I think the Cavs have to try to focus on, try to make very uncomfortable. The good news for the Cavs is Tristan Thompson in the past has been able to do that. So I do think this could be a series for Tristan um, to show his value. Well, we will find out. Game one is Sunday, uh, 3.30 in Boston. As always, thanks for listening to the Wine and Gold Talk podcast. Is that? I don't think I've ever said that before. No, you haven't. You're the sign-off guy. That's but, okay. You can sign but off. It, You're doing a great job. We did this in my car. Yeah. So I get to sign off. Yeah. Um, before you do, shout out to Coach Flan, Eric Flannery, the head coach of St. Ed's. You brought up St. Ed's. Shout out Coach Flan. It is his 34th birthday today. He was the guy who cut me from the basketball team and turned me into a high school bowling star. He, and he's 34? How old are you? No, it's not 34. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm just, I mean, I, I'm trying yeah. to be nice. Oh, about okay. It. Yeah. All right. What am going to say? <laughs> well, that shows you what I know about local. Cleveland area basketball. It's a, you know, as a Summit County kid, we don't know these things. All right, I've had enough. I gotta go. Uh, okay. So does Fedor. Thanks for listening. Wine and Gold Talk podcast. We'll talk to you next week.